0: Hello, everyone. and Welcome to the Chicago Justice Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, We have a great show for you today. My name is Tracy Siska. I'm the Executive Director of the Chicago Justice Project and your host for the show. If you want to see, uh, learn more about us, you'll see on the scroll links to our website. You can also support us through Patreon. This is a special time for this coming week, um, but starting March 1st, we're going to be at this time three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, streaming at 530 Central, um, and we're going to try, uh, the Monday shows will be on the media, Wednesday show we're going to do interview shows that are strictly focused on justice issues in Chicago, and then Friday's show is going to be more focused on national issues around crime, justice, violence, police accountability, transparency, all those wonderful issues. Real quick before we get into today's show, I want to talk to you about the next two interview shows, which uh, for this week and next week, air at 12 to 1 central time. This coming week, we have Eddie Bocanega from Ready Chicago um, and Vaughn Bryan from MP4P. We're going to talk about a pledge they took with Chicago Creed in which in the, they, they pledged and they set goals to reduce um, gun violence in Chicago by 20% a year that had been going down pretty steadily up until 2020. Um, and obviously, we've had a bit of a spike in all those issues, but um I'm sure Eddie and Vaughn I'm gonna speak for them a little bit and saying you're gonna they're gonna tell you a community distress housing distress uh you know dis, um uh, distress around housing health all of that is contributed to what's going on in Chicago this year um so we're gonna to talk to them. there's a possibility of us having a third guest from Chicago Creed. Uh, we'll see if that happens. The week of the 17th, we're honored to have with us Sarah Stout, pronouncing that right, who's a senior policy analyst and staff attorney from the Chicago Council of Lawyers. And we're talking about the large 800 page reform bill of criminal justice reform bill passed by the Illinois General Assembly. And while we're gonna champion some of the things that came in that, it was not nearly uh, enough. There was some wheeling and dealing at the end to take out some of those things. And we're going to talk about definitely about how it is not the end of um, policing and people aren't going to be running wild in the streets causing violence and all those reforms are a good step, but um, more steps need to be taken. So let's celebrate what we got, but we got to work towards um, significantly increasing those reforms and where CJP is very much. Um, for the Illinois General Assembly, the Cook County Board, and the Chicago City Council pushing those reforms. All right. So we're going to get into our first segment today, which is um, YouTube shows on the interview shows that are done by the superintendent, Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown, called Real Talk with the Superintendent. It's on the uh, Chicago Police Department's YouTube channel, and we go back to a November 2020 episode where Acting Superintendent, or the Superintendent, is interviewing Acti- Acting Deputy Superintendent of Constitutional Policing and Reform, Robert Boyk, talking about reform. What is it, and about the CPD's reform? And I want to um, talk to you a little bit. I'm going to show a couple clips and talk to you. Uh, I'm going to show the first clip, then I'll come back, and then we'll show the second one after I discuss what's in the first one a little bit. But I want to translate what's in these clips because it certainly seems like it makes sense, but you'll realize why what they're actually trying to tell you when I help decode it a little bit. So let's get to uh, video clip one. Uh, Bob,
1: talk about overall, um, all the components of reform, kind of what it means. Uh, For the layman in the public, and I know we uh, are going to talk about training and community policing, but just kind of the overarching, what is reform? So that question is really important because I think the way it has been spun externally is not accurate. You know, a lot of the articles that have been written have been about deadlines and whether we've met them or missed them. However, reform is not suspense items, deadlines, reform is checked. That's not reform. No, sir. That is not reform. Reform is about sustainable improvement within the department over a long period of time. Cultural change. Cultural change. It doesn't mean that reform is going to take a long time. We've been engaged in the reform effort for many years now, and we're very much engaged today, but it's going to take uh, a lot of effort on our part, on the part of our organization to achieve that cultural change that you mentioned. It's something that keeps going and going. Now, that doesn't mean we're not gonna meet the deadlines and the consent decree at some point, but what it does mean is once we've done that, we're not
0: gonna stop. We're gonna keep going. Okay, so there's a lot, of, a lot to unpack in there. What is reform? It's not about checking boxes. Well, of course the Chicago Police Department is gonna say that now because they've checked almost none of the boxes. For those that are catching up, a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, two years ago, whatever that time frame was, the Chicago Police Department was put under a federal consent decree. It's basically a court-ordered agreement uh, being overseen by a federal judge in the Northern District of Illinois, pushed by the Illinois Attorney General's Office, Lisa Madigan, before she left office. And it's basically being overseen by a former state inspector general, if I remember her position, um, before she became uh, the monitor of the agreement, um, and how the cpd was living up to it or not um they're way behind massively massively behind now in the midst of this obviously there's been a pandemic civil unrest related to the effects of the pandemic the effects of uh george floyd's murder and i mean you can go on and on um with all eric garner's murder um you can keep going on and on laquan mcdonald's murder um So that was going to impact to some degree their ability to check the boxes. But the police department is so antiquated, so beyond um, having 21st modern, 21st century modern anything that you can't possibly have any faith that this old school, what I would call broken in many ways, police department is. It's kind of like they're saying, trust us. I know we agreed to this time frame and we agreed to check all these boxes and make all this progress by time, but we're not going to really live up to that. You can't imagine that's a reality. What we're going to do instead, though, is just trust us. You know, we're gonna, we're really for and engaged in cultural reform, and it's going to take a long time, even though we've been at it a long time. It won't take a long time, but we've been at it a long time, and it does take a long time, and it's not about checking the boxes. I mean, it, it, it's gibberish almost. Um, the only way to have any faith in what they're doing uh, regarding this reform and the consent decree is to check the boxes. This is not a department that the Inspector General, uh, Deputy Inspector General for Public Safety has shown over and over and over in Chicago this summer, this year, with their audits and investigations released. They don't have a policy. They don't follow policies. They can't get. They can't honestly, with any integrity across the board, uh, respond to subpoenas. They don't have. They fail in ev- almost every aspect about releasing video in the sixty-day policy for shootings and brutality that they uh, that Mayor Lightfoot championed, or you know uh, private citizen head of the police board Lightfoot championed and Ron put into place, and it's just found out to be a horrific failure. I don't know. They haven't earned trust us. And the mere fact that the superintendent is allowing that to be said on YouTube while he's in the room, let alone um, um, engaged in the stage theater of uh, interview where the superintendent, not everyone that doesn't already know what the questions are said, and they haven't wordsmithed all the answers already. That's what's going on there. It's pure theater, nothing more. Um, and it's just, it's its kind of ridiculous. So. Let's get the clip, two. So, Bob, reform touches all parts of the
1: department. Can you expand on that thought? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we created an org chart where you have constitutional policing on one side and everything else on the other side. Right. But in reality, that's not the way it works. That's right. Reform is cross-cutting across everything we do. You mentioned uh, cultural change, and that culture cuts across the organization but it touches patrol in terms of number of supervisors we have, how we supervise, what are the roles uh, and responsibilities of supervisors. It touches recruitment, hiring, and promotion. You know, How do we uh, attract diverse talent and bring them up through the ranks? Um, you know, It obviously touches training, and that touches every member of the department because we've gone from zero hours to 40 hours next year. Every sworn member of the department has to go through that. So this is not just um, you know one side of the organization versus the other. The other thing I would add is reform is not done in a vacuum. It has to be connected to our overall department strategy. And ultimately, reform will help us be the, the police organization that we want to be, but it can't be done on its own on, in, in a room over here. It has to involve everybody within the department, and I think we're on our way to being able to do that.
0: Well, you certainly wouldn't know it from any of the reports from the Monitor and her team about what you're doing because you're failing in all the markers. So that's one thing. They're not wrong that it touches everything. And this is the problem, though. This is why I have no faith in Superintendent Brown being able to change the department through this process, is that this is the same thing with community policing. You can't have a team. You can't have a squad. That's not what this is, but it's still that way under Superintendent Brown. He's got this community, um, the summer community team that's also a saturation team, but somehow does projects with the community to, you know, reform relations. Um, I don't have any faith in Superintendent Brown of the Chicago Police Department really taking constitutional policing and living up to the consent decree as seriously as it would need to be to allow it to infiltrate and touch every part of the department. That's not what this department is about, has been about. Superintendent Brown certainly isn't about it. Um, so while they're right, I just don't have any faith in anything they're trying to do that they would infiltrate all the all the aspects of the department they would need it to be. Um, and Superintendent Brown certainly hasn't shown me anything. Um, without revealing too much, we'll get into Superintendent Brown's history in Dallas and why um, he may not... Be as trustworthy as um you we were led to believe both by the Chicago media and our uh our current mayor when that process was going on. Um so we'll see. I don't have any faith. Either hit the deadlines. Uh the police department needs to be told hit the deadlines or else. And this uh this this should be this acting deputy superintendent who's head of constitutional policing, both his job and the job of Superintendent Brown and all of his um people at the Deputy superintendent ranks, all their jobs should be on the line. Hit those marks or get out of the department. If you can't do it, you can't be there. That's period. End of end of discussion. We'll be monitoring it for you. So we're going to move on to our next segment, which is um, how SC Johnson has stepped forward to fund Alderman Beal's cop house, or what he's calling is a cop house, which I guess is a house... They're going to rehab and make it into a community policing location. Once again, a failure. Um, that, But it's somehow going to take it outside of the department. And because you're putting one house in one police district, that is somehow going to um, really bring the community and police together. Um, Alderman Beale has... Um, um, Alderman Beale has said he's been fighting with the mayor. This recent article that we flashed up on the screen is written by Fran Spielman. She gets two of our hits today. We're talking about her, two of her pieces in uh, in different segments. The next segment also is about a piece uh, that Fran wrote. And it's, it's really devoid of any context. So, you know, I've been in... Um, Alderman's offices when Fran's called their cell phones or in meetings with them. And they just put it to voicemail because, to quote one alderman, um, she's just looking to make trouble. She's just looking for a salacious salacious quote. And that's basically um, Fran's M.O., and especially around these issues. Um, You know, Beal has talked about their mimicking or trying to mimic a project in Racine, but you wouldn't know that because Fran doesn't know. She doesn't put up anything about how, um, any information about if that's what they're looking at, well, what is this project in Wisconsin, in Racine, Wisconsin, and how did it go? Has it been um, independently evaluated? Did it work? Um, yes, of course, some of these things in the short term are going to make people feel like they're um, part of something and that the police department are trying something, so it may change. Um, opinions about the police a little bit over the short term, but it's, it's about whether it holds up long term. Um, it'd be nice if we could have that data about, you know, what's going on. If this is a replication issue, what happened in Racine? Fran, make a call, do some research. That's really not her MO. Her is getting salacious quotes she can make a good headline out of. Um, <clears throat> and honestly, I, I got to tell you a story quickly that when we were trying to pass police board reform, this is why Daley was in office. Still, we had basically more or less we as me and the Chicago Justice Project and the Chicago Coalition for Police Accountability were more or less working with uh, working out a deal with Alderman Ike Carruthers. And I won't tell you the ward because I don't remember it exactly, and I don't want to give you the wrong ward. Um, he was chairman of the police and fire committee at the time. And at one of those meetings, I get a call from Alderman Fioretti during the city council meeting. I'm in the back in the audience. He's on the floor. You can't take calls. So I walk outside the chambers and take it. And he's asking me about a study we published on the police board. Um, and I start telling him the, the, uh, findings and he's like, no, 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 you know, read it to me, dictate it to me. Like you're, um, You're writing an article because I'm sitting here with Fran Spielman and I'm just going to give it right to her. Everything you say. And he did it and I believe within a couple hours an article uh, appeared um, on the Sun-Times website. I was never called by Fran. I don't think she made any other calls. Um, So, I mean, that just shows you why you get stories like this about this project in Racine that Beal is trying to replicate in his ward. I believe it's the Ninth Ward. Make a call, Fran. Let's figure out what the hell is going on in Racine and whether it is worth replicating. Just because he says he's replicating somewhere else, it doesn't mean it worked. And if he tells you it works, how do you know he's telling you the truth? How do you know what the, he knows what the hell he's talking about? Um, and so just to wrap this up in a little bow, you got to remember, people, these aldermen, when something happens, and Jeanette Young, Laquan McDonald, there's always talk about doing things, and they so rarely ever get anything done. Alderman Beale is a prime example because, about maybe 14 months, somewhere in that range, 15 months, Alderman Beale was chair of the Police and Fire Committee under Richard Daly before Ron came in for about 14, 15 months. And I can tell you, they did nothing on this issue, nothing around police accountability, zero beal has been on that committee, which is now called Public Safety, for a long time. Was he done? Nothing, nothing. We have the data we're publishing in the spring on 20 years of their activities. Done nothing. This is what he does. And you know, in the Anjanette Young hearing, the the Public Safety Committee had he's talking very uh, 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 seriously and strenuously about needing to get something done and needing that they need. So the city's counting on us. The people are counting on us to do something. Um, and that's great, Alderman, except for the fact that he wanted Alderman Beale wanted to outlaw no-knock warrants. We got to do something. And it's even after Superintendent Brown is like, I don't know what you're talking about. The warrant wasn't a no-knock warrant. You could outlaw them, but they're, they're not going to make any difference in the case. It isn't going to stop what happened to Jeanette Young from happening again. Did that stop it? Nope. He kept pushing, let's do this, let's do this, let's ban no-knock warrants. Even though Immediately, it would have no impact. Um, It's sad, but that's true. There's a couple quotes um, of Beal arguing or complaining about how um, Superintendent Brown isn't as visible as past superintendents, um, which is just really sad because I'm not sure what that means. I mean, don't you care whether or not crime is being fought, whether or not the superintendent... You care about that rather than whether or not the superintendent's there. What's better, um, more crime being prevented and the superintendent staying in the um, in the headquarters, or a superintendent being on the ground in your community but crime being out of control? It's a ridiculous argument, but I mean, from the city council, for most of them, you don't expect anything less. And then Beal um, talks about how the institutional knowledge that left when uh, Superintendent Brown came in. Um, Police officials, especially senior police officials, leaving when a consent decree comes in, a federal investigation, and then a consent decree, is not a shock. You know why the feds are in? Because your department is not working. Your Many of your senior leaders are not doing their job, or and they've just towed the company line forever. Um, so them leaving, not a surprise. Um, that is not Superintendent Brown's issues. If you wanted all the leaders to say, then what was need? What needed changing? When you need change, you bring in new leaders. That's how you get change. Um, but don't tell Alderman Beale that. Um, he, he complains about the the uh, institutional knowledge lost. It's kind of uh, sad, really. Um, if you want change in the department, the leaders got to be changed. That is just the way. Especially old school CPD leaders. So, we're going to go on to our next segment. Another Franz Spielman article, article Alderman terrified constituents demand answers to carjacking spike. And in this one, another not good article, another just getting salacious quotes. And I want to read a couple to you here. Um, and this is we're going to, we're going to criticize some Aldermen here, too. I've never seen this more united over an issue. Lincoln Park Alderman, Michelle, Michelle Smith, 43rd Ward. Congratulations, Alderman. And listen, carjackings, they're not good. No doubt about it. But you think you would have been equally united around finding solutions so that maybe murders like Laquan McDonald didn't happen again. Torture of John Burge, torturing suspects didn't happen again. I guess that's just not things they're united against. How about not selling the parking meters? Not closing 50 schools. Not closing the mental health clinics. These aldermen are oblivious to the fact that their decisions, their votes, which most of them voted for all of that, are causing the situation in the city, the circumstances, the social circumstances, the economic dire in a lot of these communities, um, their votes are part of the reason. They've created those circumstances, and they're oblivious, and they take no responsibility. It's time that they do. Here's one from alderman. Burnett, 27th Ward, a strong daily ROM voter. You could always count on his yes when they um, when they needed it. Use my tax increment financing money to buy a helicopter, man. Do what you have to do. Listen, this is such a typical response from Alderman. Spend any money you have to possibly. Do what you have to do. Spend as much money possible on the criminal justice system. Throw all the money you possibly can at it but solve the problem. We don't care. Now, where was he when it was time to vote on selling the meters? Same thing with Alderman Smith. Where were they? Burnett's been around forever and a day. Where was he for all these things? He was lost. He was always a yes vote. Always a yes vote. Here's another one, Pat Dowell, third ward. I don't think we're gonna solve this problem by having 66 people on Zoom meeting in a subject matter hearing. I really don't feel like there's any reasonable outcomes that are gonna come out of this today. Okay, maybe, you know what, I don't think she's too wrong, but not doing anything. What did you what, what did you want done? I don't feel that I've received any information. Here we go. Once again, politicians that vote on things that create the circumstances for issues around crime and violence and taking no responsibility and passing the buck. I don't feel that I have received any information about what happened on the prosecution side. This is what my constituents are looking for answers to. They want to know that people are committing these crimes are being dealt with by the criminal justice system. Yep. Once again, don't look at us. Keep it in this narrow. I'm going to focus the camera for you. But where you should be looking for blame, it's Kim's Fox problem. It's not ours. It's not me for voting for meters. It's not me for closing mental health clinics, helping close the mental closing 50 schools in the most underserved communities in Chicago. By the way, the same place that you closed the schools, you closed the mental health clinics. Good job, Alderman. Um, It's not for us being a yes vote for everything Rahm and Daley wanted just about. Um, it's the criminal justice system's fault. It's their fault. We need political responsibility. We need politicians to take responsibility for what they vote on. This is something in the Chicago Justice Show we talked about on June 30th with Professor Barry Friedman from the Policing Project at NYU, and we're going to look at a clip of him and I talking about it.
2: get frustrated, and I am frustrated, and I'm going to not be quiet about that frustration, uh, we've had fatter times where we did have the resources. Mm-hmm. And though I understand that there's tremendous anger toward the police right now, and I understand why there is that anger, and I'm not seeking to minimize it, though I think we should be sensible about it. There, there ought to be more anger at public officials. Who, you know, responding to an electorate that wanted lower taxes and wanted to not be troubled with these social problems, just, even in fat times, left us without the resources to help people that needed help. And a lot, and especially when I hear those public officials now pointing fingers at the police, I kind of want to say, where were you over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years? You know, the police didn't defund mental health services and homelessness and substance abuse and cut resources for, you know, dealing with traffic issues and whatnot, it was public officials. And we ought to
0: be able to cast that responsibility where it belongs. I 100% agree with that. And I have been pushing long and hard for local officials to be held accountable for their financial, the financial lack of regulation or their financial, what they approve in local jurisdictions, especially in Chicago, because where we're concentrating right now. But there is, to me, there's an absolute correlation between some of the votes they've taken on financial issues, cutting taxes, defunding things, and the situation we now find ourselves in. And I think it's uh, completely hypocritical for them to blame blame this all on the police because some of them have been in 10, 15, 20 years, and they have a long history of votes on those issues that. Have have significantly contributed to the situation we are in. The mayor didn't in Chicago, for example. The mayor didn't defund mental health all by himself. He did not defund homelessness. He did not fund defund the schools all by himself. Those budgets were voted on, and I I would love to see those uh, political officials held to account um, and, and to take some ownership over what's been happening. yeah I mean and this is this story is a great example. These are one, two, three aldermen um Burnett, for sure, I'm not sure exactly how long Michelle Smith has been in, but Burnett and Pat Pat Dollar have been in many, many years. both were around when we tried to pass police form police board reform in two thousand nine and two thousand ten um so that's at least twelve years right there um you got to take responsibility for your vote. You can't create the circumstances that are so dire in these communities and then complain about the response from the public. It would be nice if they took some responsibility. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take one-minute break, and we'll be back with you in one minute. Join a group of engaged and committed individuals advocating for transparency and accountability in the local justice system around the country. Get engaged through crowdsourced research projects, digital activism, public policy advocacy, or become a social media ambassador. Our criminal justice system will not reform itself. Communities must demand it. Transparency can be the fuel for justice our local communities need to combat the weaponizing of data by our justice system. Transformation of our justice system cannot occur until we know exactly what they are doing and who they are doing it to. Get involved today, CJP Nation. All right, everyone, welcome back. Thank you so much for being with us. Our next segment is an article from Pascal Sabino from Black Club Chicago. West Side Violence Prevention Groups Helping CPS design alternatives to cops in schools, a whole different way of them doing things. You know, it's a pretty good article. And I'm going to say that what I find sad about this is um, that this isn't more of a citywide issue. This idea of community organizations coming together, finding ways to... um, deal with and combat what's going on in schools and getting away from this police-only response. I remember years ago, Jonathan Peck from the Southwest Youth Collaborative in Marquette Park talked to me. He was on our uh, advisory board for many years. And he talked to me about how, you know, the police, at that point, one of the district commanders, they they... operated in several districts, I believe, or maybe multiple district commanders, had come to um, SWIC, Southwest Youth Collaborative, I think that's what their name, uh, acronym was pronounced, but came to Southwest Youth Collaborative and were looking for ways to stop getting teachers to call the police on every single thing that happened. Disrespecting a an, a, a teacher was grounds for the police being called. And when you now station cops in all these schools, that's a huge problem, right? And Mayor Lightfoot had an opportunity this summer in response to George Floyd, in response to the calls to defund police, to really come out and start a citywide dialogue on all of this. Um, Getting cops out of schools, coming up with alternative response systems. And and unfortunately, what's happened is more or less um, some of that is occurring, but it's occurring almost um, in the shadows instead of being in the light. Excuse me. It should not just be a few community organizations work working behind closed doors. This should be a bigger, um, more community based um, endeavor, so that people know what's going on and can have some input in it and feel satisfied in the process. This is not what's happening. Um, there is an alternative response uh, prototype project, I believe, going on in one of the police districts. Um, and I don't remember which one it is right off the top of my head, but it shouldn't be happening in secret. Um, if, these, if we're going to go down these paths, it should be done in public. But you know, when you get politicians that are worried about getting reelected, this stuff always happens in the shadows. Um, it's unfortunately the way it's done. And this is how it was done under Daily. This is how it's done under Rahm. This is how it's being done under Lightfoot. This is uh, shadow politics at its best. And that's a sad thing. This may be a great idea that's involving Build Chicago in it. Um, but we just need more sunshine about what's going on and who's involved and what is being proposed and then prototyping it to see if it works. Um we don't need the stuff going on behind closed doors, but that's the way politicians in Chicago, and unfortunately, Lightfoot is still infected by the political bug. Um, I do think candidate Lightfoot would be upset with what some of the things Mayor Lightfoot is doing. Okay, our next segment is about a Mary Mitchell article or column, I guess it's not really an article. She's a columnist. Uh, Entitled Rash of Teen Carjacking shows it's time to expand the meaning of neglect abuse by minors. Yeah, there's no doubt, it seems from the data anyways, that a lot of what's going on is actually a lot of the things around carjackings is actually the youth doing it. And that's definitely a problem. But the biggest problem with her column is that once again, it's like the politicians, like Burnett and Dowell and uh um Michelle Smith. It's about inner, inner. Uh, instead of empowering communities and and uh, finding resources for families to live in better circumstances and to have more resources on a whole variety of subjects, uh, to deal with drugs addiction, mental health, all uh, the schools, uh, building up and empowering their communities. What do we get? We get a call by Mary Mitchell to expand the power and reach of the state by increasing the reach of the Department of Children and Family Services, that's what you're talking about, right? Um, When you increase the, or expand the definition of neglect and abuse, you're talking about DCFS, the Department of Children and Family Services, getting involved. And I am not sure if that's actually leading to better outcomes for these kids. That money might be just better spent flat out um, in resources for the community and to make the lives in these homes better to provide more opportunity, more training, more education, better access to mental health treatment, better access to drug treatment. Um, I am pretty convinced that that would be a better way of doing it. more jails, prisons, incarceration, uh, more um, prison, more criminal justice sh- uh, criminal justice sanctions um, is not going to do it. But um, it seems like sometimes columnists might be um, out of fresh ideas other than increase the criminal justice system, increase the power of DCFS, which is like a subsection of the criminal justice system. In my view, um, so very sad. We're going to keep an eye on that. That is not going to be a long-term solution to the carjacking problem in Chicago. That's for sure. Our next segment um, talks about a article from the sites about the article from the Sun Times: CPD officer accused of handcuffing man in 2019, charged with official misconduct. And I want to talk about two quotes specifically in this article um garcia then placed his hands over the man's neck for more than 10 seconds i think he got in the back seat with him in the car making it difficult for the man to breathe prosecutor said the officer's partner went around the car and got in the other side to remove garcia's hands the prosecutor said now as we talked about um two weeks from now two weeks from wednesday having Sarah Stout from the Chicago Council lawyers on to talk about reforms that were passed by the General Assembly. This is a reform um, that needs to be beefed up. Um, did this officer, did the Garcia's partner, and this would have been context for the article, was he disciplined for um, well, first of all, did he report that Garcia put his hands on this man's neck for no reason? Did he? Did he report it? And if he didn't report it, was he disciplined for it? Because that's that's meaningful context in this article, right? Um, I know that in the reforms, um, if an officer turns off his body camera, for instance, on purpose, that's now going to be a class three felony. And I also think if they sign a a false police report, that can be a class three felony. I think. We are looking at a prime example of what needs to be included in that, and that is, did this officer fail to report an assault and a battery by a fellow officer? Um, We don't exactly know because Matthew Hendrickson's article doesn't tell us. Um, It would be nice if that kind of context was in this article so we knew, and I'm going to give you one more quote here. Prosecutors later decided... To revisit the case, upon further review of the facts, evidence and law, we believe uh, we can now meet our burden of proof and move forward with charges, a spokesman of the state's attorney said. Well, what does that mean? Is that BS or what? Like, um, hello, what was originally, why originally did I decline tra- pressing charges? Why specifically did they decline pressing charges? Did they get new information? Did a new prosecutor come in and look at it? Were they worried about heat? Did Kim Fox intervene? Did a, senior, uh, uh, a superior intervene? What happened? That is a bogus, wordsmith PR um, sentence. That doesn't mean anything. Upon further review, why did you need further review? Why wasn't the initial review enough? Who did that that thought that initial review wasn't enough? We need to know, and but you know Matthew Hendrickson just bought the statement, probably emailed to him because you're not allowed to ask questions in most of these things anymore. He bought and swallowed that, and that's just a massive, massive failure because it's not enough that they're now prosecuting him. Why didn't they prosecute him before, and why are they prosecuting him now? What changed upon further review means nothing. It's a crap oldest statement that he bought and reprinted when you hear about stenographers the power, it was a book by. Ben, uh, was it Ben Bradickian? I think it was. Wrote a book on. I think I have it on my bookshelf. Stenographers, the power. This is a great example. That was a total stenographer. He cut and pasted that right out of the statement they emailed it to him, and it went right into the paper and online story. It's horrible, horrible. Okay, for our last segment, ladies and gentlemen, we'll just give you a quick update on what's going on with CJP. You can find out all of this stuff uh, on our website. Um, so, real quick about uh, our litigation ongoing with the state's attorney. Now, after every hearing, you can go on to our latest updates, and we'll be pinning. Um, we're going to have a running uh, blog that lets you know what's going on in the hearings. We just started publishing that. Basically, we had a hearing last—I think it was last Thursday—and um, it's uh, Kim Fox, state's attorney's office, doing their best to. Um, waste money fighting uh, a, uh, our FOIA lawsuits, our Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. They're trying to cover up, deny as best as possible. Um, it aggravated the judge to no end. Um, but they're going to do whatever they can to stall. That was proof enough in our hearing on Thursday. So I think we're going to be giving you hearings, every uh, updates in our hearings for every couple of months for a couple of years. They are going to... Um, it's just going to piss away a lot of money and lose in the end. It's unfortunate, but you're going to get updates uh, every time there's a hearing. We're going to do the same thing with our ongoing Chicago Police Department litigation. We have a call Thursday uh, with, a I think, a sergeant or lieutenant in the department talking about uh, data related to calls for service. So if you love the department, check this one out. Figure out how this physically works uh, for they owe us eighteen years of data around, or I think it's eighteen years of data related to police calls for service. The first nine years, they because they maintain data, they, they their data warehouse is collected every year from the nine one one center office of emergency management and communications that actually creates it every day because they take the calls, uh, OEMC, which is the short acronym there. Um, they delete data four years to the day. The police department knows it, so they have been for years. Um, capturing that data every year so that it doesn't get erased, so they can use it for their research purposes. So in our FOIA, we asked for 18 years of that data out of their warehouse, the CPD's warehouse, data warehouse. In the first nine years of that, they actually gave us about 13% of the calls that the Chicago Police Department annual reports say that OEMC said came in regarding 2911, regarding... Seeking police services, 13%. Now, that's weird. But the second set of nine years, they gave us on average 145% of calls. One year had a maximum of 198% of the calls. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how do you get 198% of anything? Hmm. (laughs) So they were either lying back in your annual reports or someone conjured up some data the average for those nine years, 145% of the calls. I mean, that's just how broken the system is. Um, uh, one other, a couple other quick updates. Um, look out in the spring, late spring, early summer, with a uh, major set of FOIA litigation coming up against the mayor's office, law department, police department, COPA, the Citizen Office of Police Accountability, and the police board related to our investigation into um, an investigation into a a, a wrongful shooting I'm a black uh, mentally challenged teenager who survived it, thank God um, but um, we're trying to get at the mechanics of how the decision was to suspend him, and all of those agencies have let us down and failed in the responses we have sent uh, responses to uh, freedom of information requests that we have sent in um, and the police board will have. More accounts added on because we have sent them other FOIAs that they have denied or ignored. Um, so we'll be hitting them. And, and just real quick, look on our website soon. We have updated or expanded our transparency efforts and we have started filing a FOIA request. I'm coming to you from the District of Columbia. We have sent in what is going to become pretty much a stock FOIA request as we expand around the country at local jurisdictions, going after metadata on 911 calls and um, crime incident data, a whole range of issues uh, regarding uh, policing in the District of Columbia. You can go on our website into um, the latest news to look at those actual FOIA requests. And within the next week or two, we have gotten a response related to 911 calls, the Office of Unified Communications here in DC. will be posting what they've responded to us with, and we're still way overdue for a response from the Metropolitan Police Department here in DC. They've had a few things going on with the pandemic and uh, our recent uh, coup attempt. So, um, But we'll be posting responses and all the data we get to our website for both of those uh, responses. And um, in the next few weeks, we'll be expanding our FOIAs um, around the country to other cities, Uh, cities in the news, Uh, Columbus, Ohio, site of a recent shooting, unarmed black and murder of a black, unarmed black youth for no apparent reason. Um, Louisville, Kentucky, Breonna Taylor's death, South Bend, Indiana, because they have problems, and then a host of other cities. So check back to this show and also on our website at ChicagoJustice.org. If you want more information about it, if you want to participate, become part of the nation, email us at InfoChicagoJustice.org and we'll hook you up. With info about that, we meet every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central. We have a bunch of groups with the nation doing uh, crowdsourced research projects for us, um, sponsors, recruiting sponsorships for the show, uh, part of the Open Cities project. we got a lot going on. Email us as we'll set you up. Okay, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. We will see you Wednesday back here at 12 to 1 Central talking about violence prevention and community groups Pledge to reduce it by 20% a year over the next five years. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week or see you Wednesday.